Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. Members of the Philadelphia Church of God have recently received the 2023 Feast Planner. This is so we can prepare for the Feast of Tabernacles, which isn't until September 30th through October 7th. But the Feast of Tabernacles is an annual festival that really does require year-round planning. It is an extremely special time. It's probably the highlight of the year for God's people. Notice here in Deuteronomy chapter 16, where God commands us to keep this feast. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. After that, you have gathered in your corn and your wine, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, Seven days shall you keep a solemn feast unto the eternal your God in the place which the eternal your God shall choose, because the eternal your God shall bless you in all your increase and in all the works of your hands. Therefore, you shall surely rejoice. And they shall not appear before the eternal empty. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the eternal your God, which he has given you. That's Deuteronomy 16, verses 13 through 17. There are a few things we can notice from this passage about how we keep the Feast of Tabernacles. God commands rejoicing during this time. And God also says that we'll keep the feast at a place that he has chosen. He also commands us to give an offering to support his work during the feast. And that's really a big part of our rejoicing. That's a big part of our uplifting feast experience every single year. But this Feast of Tabernacles planner has a lot of helpful instruction. There's a great article included with the planner by the chief financial officer, Mr. Andrew Loker, about how to calculate the tithe of the tithe. The late Herbert W. Armstrong made a judgment about tithe of the tithe. So usually the the feast is paid for by people saving up a tenth of all their income for the entire year. And then they spend all of that income in this one week festival. And really that's what enables us to live like royalty during this time. It's what enables us to just really truly rejoice. We have fine food and drink in moderation, of course. And we stay in these millennial hotels and resorts. And that really does aid us in rejoicing. But then a 10th of that 10th, a tithe of that tithe goes toward paying for all the feast expenses. 
So then we send that in throughout the year or we send it in in one in one payment to the church. And that's how all of these feast sites around the world are paid for. That's how we negotiate the contracts for all of these feast sites where God has placed his name, the sites that God has chosen to keep the feast. And not only that, this tithe of the tithe also helps those who have trouble affording to attend the feast. So this tithe of the tithe really is an inspired judgment by Mr. Armstrong. And it's something that we do in the Philadelphia Church of God to this day. If we can afford to pay the tithe of the tithe and help contribute to cutting down the expenses for the feast. We have staff members here in Oklahoma, but also around the world traveling to these sites to see if they are family-friendly locations, to see if they will be sites where we can truly rejoice. And then they obviously have to negotiate contracts with these different hotel or resort locations. And so these things do cost money. It does also cost money to help those attend the feast who cannot afford it. And that's what the second tithe, the tithe of the tithe does. But we have this second tithe as well, where we save a tenth of all our income for the entire year just to rejoice at the feast. Now, in some small ways, it can also be used for other festivals, other annual festivals that God commands, mainly for the feast, though. Here's what it says in Leviticus 23, verses 33 through 35. And the Eternal spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Eternal. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. The first day of the Feast of Tabernacles is a holy day. This is, this is on top of the regular weekly Sabbath. Now this year, it just so happens that the first day of the feast is actually on the regular weekly Sabbath too. So it, it's a regular weekly Sabbath and a holy day on the first day of the feast this year in particular. But this is a holy convocation. We have double church services on this day. It's a commanded assembly. We must avoid doing our own work. And notice here in verses 40 and 41, Leviticus 23, verses 40 and 41. And you shall rejoice before the eternal your God seven days. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Notice. It's a statute forever. Mr. Armstrong wrote an excellent booklet titled Pagan Holidays or God's Holy Days, which you can get a free copy at thetrumpet.com. And in that booklet, Mr. Armstrong encourages us to clear our minds of any prejudice or preconceived notions 
and just study what the Bible says about the holy days. And Mr. Armstrong thoroughly proves in that booklet that forever really does mean forever. We really are supposed to keep the holy days forever. This is not a figure of speech. This is not something that only applied to the ancient Israelites. God commands these holy days to be observed forever. And there are examples that we can see in the Bible where even after the return of Jesus Christ, all mankind will be keeping these days. Mr. Armstrong says about the Feast of Tabernacles here in chapter 4 of Pagan Holidays or God's Holy Days, which this festival is the picture of the millennium. The millennium, the wonderful world tomorrow, the 1,000-year rule of Jesus Christ over the earth. Mr. Armstrong also says this festival of ingatherings the Feast of Tabernacles pictures the fall harvest, the great harvest of souls in the millennium. This is when God's way of life will be accessible to all mankind. Those who are alive after the return of Jesus Christ will finally know the way to peace, happiness, and joy that they've always wanted. Zechariah chapter 14 shows that all nations will be required to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And in fact, if they don't, there will be punishment. Rebelling against God's way of life and God's commands is unpleasant, and everyone will have to learn that. Mr. Armstrong writes, to receive salvation, even the Gentiles will have to keep this festival. Of course, it is commanded forever. They will be commanded to rejoice. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Notice a key aspect of the feast. This is why God's people travel to far off locations to keep the feast every year. This is Leviticus 23 again, verses 42 and 43. You shall dwell in booths seven days that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. So there is a really dramatic spiritual parallel in keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. A booth is a temporary dwelling. We go stay in a temporary dwelling, probably a hotel room. During the Feast of Tabernacles, just like the Israelites dwelled in booths or dwelled in tents when they left the land of Egypt. Whenever they escaped from slavery in Egypt, they were in temporary dwellings. Mr. Armstrong writes, the Israelites dwelled in booths in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. 
those booths pictured that they were only heirs. Heirs of the kingdom of God, he's talking about. All human beings are only heirs of the kingdom of God at best. We are not born and transformed spiritually into members of the God family yet. Mr. Armstrong continues, even during the millennium when the kingdom of God is ruling over mortal nations, the people will be only heirs to the kingdom. They must overcome and grow in knowledge and wisdom to inherit the promises. On this earth today, we are only heirs of the kingdom of God that is pictured during the Feast of Tabernacles. We are not yet in God's kingdom. When God's kingdom is here, we will know it because Christ will rule over all the nations. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 50 says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. As long as we are flesh and blood humans, we are heirs of the kingdom, but not inheritors. We must be born again of the spirit of God to inherit the kingdom. You can see that in John chapter 3. So here's this parallel of Israel leaving Egypt. Egypt is a type of sin. God's people today must leave Egypt behind. We must forsake the way of sin, the way of the devil. We must come out of Egypt. Mr. Armstrong writes, Israel in the wilderness was a type of all people who must go through trials and tribulations to inherit the promises. They were wanderers waiting to inherit the promises of salvation. Israel went from Egypt into the promised land. Spiritual Israelites, God's loyal people today, must come out of Egypt and then we await our entry into the promised land, the kingdom of God. This feast is seven days long to picture the entire millennium because seven is God's number of completion. Mr. Armstrong says that that's why we also have seven annual observances, seven annual festivals. So there is one more after the Feast of Tabernacles. Here's what it says. Leviticus 23, verses 34 and 36. The 15th day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the eternal. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you. It is a day of solemn assembly, and you shall do no servile work therein. So we have to be able to count to eight to understand this. There are seven days of the feast. The first day is a holy day. And then the eighth day after the seven days is also a holy day. 
If the feast is only seven days long and the eighth day is a holy day, that's a separate feast. In John 7, verse 37, this separate feast is called the last day, that great day of the feast. Mr. Armstrong explains that Jesus Christ was giving a sermon about the last great day, the meaning of that day in John chapter 7. Notice John 7, verses 37 through 39. Christ said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. The last great day is a time when God's Holy Spirit will flow. This, this day pictures a resurrection after the millennium. This is when all who have ever lived and died, not knowing about God or his way of life, will finally have a chance to be resurrected and they will receive an entire physical lifetime to learn God's way, to choose God's way, and eventually to be converted and changed into a spirit-born member of God's family. So this is a gigantic resurrection of hundreds of billions of people. The last great day is when God will literally open up salvation to all mankind. And they'll have a chance to receive God's Holy Spirit, be led by that Holy Spirit, to choose the right way to live. And then they'll be given the opportunity to live forever. Mr. Armstrong writes, This eighth day, which immediately follows the seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles, pictures the completion of the plan of redemption. It is just prior to the new heaven and the new earth. All parents and children, young and old, will be resurrected. Now, when we understand this, that all who have ever lived and died are not strumming on a harp up in the clouds of heaven, and they're also not burning and agonizing in eternal hellfire right now, when we understand that truth, it really does help us understand so much more about God's entire plan. And it helps us realize God is really patient and merciful. He's not condemning anyone to live forever in the torture of hellfire. In God's plan, it's either eternal life or eternal death. not eternal life in torture. But before that choice is made, whether we go to eternal life or eternal death, we have a literal lifetime to make the right decision. God's people today have to make that decision today. But everyone who hasn't been called out of Egypt today will still have an opportunity in the future 
If they're still alive during the world tomorrow, that will be their opportunity. Or if they've already died, it will be after the world tomorrow when they will be resurrected and they will have a chance as well. This booklet, Pagan Holidays or God's Holy Days, which concludes with a short section called Festival Information. And it explains how to reach out if you are interested in keeping the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day. God commands us to live in temporary dwellings during the Feast of Tabernacles. But since the last great day is the very next day, we're also in our temporary dwellings at our hotel or resort on that eighth day as well. This feast planner really does get us excited because it does show uh, some awesome sites where we can choose, we can put in an application and choose which sites we would prefer. Where We have options this year, Edmond, Oklahoma, Florida, Ohio, Arizona, Montana, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, Jerusalem, England, the Philippines, Australia, New Zealand, or Trinidad and Tobago. And these are just some gorgeous locations. Clear, clearly God has inspired these locations. There's also an excellent article in this feast planner called A Feast of Service by Mr. Stephen Fleury. And he says, it is through service that we picture the fulfillment of the world tomorrow when God's family will serve the world to bring it peace, education, and ultimately salvation into God's family. That's what we picture during the Feast of Tabernacles. And a lot of people serve tirelessly during the feast to make it such a wonderful occasion for all of us. Matthew chapter 20 says that the greatest in the kingdom of God will be the greatest servant today. So the more we serve today, the more responsibility and authority God will give us in his kingdom. That's, those are the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20 verse 28 says in the Moffat translation, just as the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of service that we try to emulate during the Feast of Tabernacles, but also year round. So we have received this epic feast planner already six months in advance of the feast of tabernacles here's another scripture about jesus christ it says here for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might be rich. That's 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. That's Christ's example of service. That's the example of service that we follow at the feast. As we picture 
the millennium when Christ will rule the entire world and he'll be ruled or he will rule with a lot of other servants. Those who are serving at the feast today will serve with him to help all mankind tomorrow. So make sure you check out your feast planner. If you are a church member, check out pagan holidays or God's holy days, Witch as well. If you want to learn more about keeping these joyous festivals, thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been behind the work. You've been listening to behind the work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 12 p.m. Central Time.